This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dermisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dermisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. Well, we don't have Michael Schwartz. Where did he go? Is he on vacation? He's cruising Nevada with his dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he told the story on Facebook. That was cute. Hey, criminals don't follow any high-capacity magazine limits. Criminals aren't restricted to the guns in the California gun roster. They also don't follow a 10-day waiting period, so why should you? Gun control laws just make it harder for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. What can you do about it? Well, join a Second Amendment uh, activist group like the San Diego County Gun Owners. STCGO makes activism easy. Working together, we're getting more pro-gun officials elected. Join today at SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com. Go to SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com and join today. Well, topics today will be Gun Prom, Voter Guide, Gun Owners Radio is on True Social. I can't get on True Social. They said click here to get a, a, a code. Yeah, to be on a waiting list, right? Well, I guess that's what it is because it won't send it me is. an email. Yeah, I got on that waiting list a long time ago. Episode previews, Steve Vargas. Gear review, Steve Dettelbach and Stephen Hallbrook. So, so if you read all that, what are you going to say? I don't know. We're going to. You're the ones that are going to be talking about all this stuff. Well, I've been talking about that stuff. Did you guys? You didn't say anything about me when I was in here last week, right? You weren't even here. There wasn't a. Yeah, Joe's driving around the country with his dad or something. I didn't you know where you were anything. either. Yeah, where right. did you go? I was taking a. Um, we took a uh, a, a sure easy for <laughs> so, you to say. <laughs> took a pepper spray instructor class. So there was a one of the national trainers, Chuck Haggard, was in town. So um, David Reed sponsored it up at um, the Lemon Grove Rod and Gun Club. So uh, took that one. Were you, did you were you the target or are you the shooter? No, it was fun. You know, I, I thought about that, but we didn't have the opportunity. They um, it's it w- hard to do that in a civilian class because of the insurance issues. Oh. Um, they spray each other all the time in the law enforcement classes. Right. That's why care. I was wondering if you'd been sprayed. No, I would have, uh, I, I thought about it. You know, I'm getting too old to be sprayed by that crap, <laughs> but since I'm teaching these classes, I should probably, well, if somebody says, Hey, have you been sprayed? I should be able to say yes. something more recent than yeah. boot camp. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when I got sprayed and it, and it was tear gas. It wasn't well, pepper we did the same, same thing you guys were talking about two weeks ago. It's like, cause they made us sit in this room. We had gas masks on. They take your gas mask off. Yeah. And then we had to recite like run around inside the something. tent. Yeah. And then we went outside yeah. and everybody coughed and choked. Then he said, go back in. And I said, no, <laughs> they go. Yes. I said, no. <laughs> and I didn't go back in. So um, be that as it may. So are you, did you, are you ready for gun prom? Uh, yeah, I just uh, actually got my table, paid for my table, got my 10 people, so I'm ready to go. I got my 10 people. I have not paid for the table. And, uh, <laughs> That's kind of the way I'm rolling. Well, that was easy. I did it online uh, 
that I know Bill had trouble with because I had to hand carry a check to Michael uh, the other day. We were supposed to make the exchange here, but between me remembering to give it to Rich and Rich remembering to ask, we figured we had about a 50-50 chance of success here. Yeah, so I've got my people all lined up, so that'll be good. And I I was talking to a couple of politicians today that were at KUSI, and I told them that they need to go to stcgo.org and buy some prom tickets. He goes... He says, a gun prom? I go, yeah, dude, it's cool. <laughs> so we'll see if they show up. Yeah, so doing pretty well. So that's uh, that should be good. Um, a couple of guests today that should be good as well. Steve Vargas is running for um, for supervisor up in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's got a Isn't pretty he from down interesting here? background. No, I think he was. Uh, it's, he's a city councilman from Bray and then the mayor up there. Wow, the name so sounds so familiar. He may be from down here originally. I don't know. We'll find out. Ask him today. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then, and then, um, uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Steve Halbrook. No, Dettelbach is another one we'll talk about. Uh, Stephen Halbrook uh, will be on the show today, or he'll be calling in. And uh, he's an author and an attorney. Mm. And, um, you know, he's done, I think, about 10 books. I know I've read two of them. One of them I really liked. Well, I like both of them. But apparently, one of them I was raving about, and I couldn't, <laughs> I forgot all about it. And uh, Michael reminded me the other day when I saw him, and, uh, and I can't find it. And it's, it's like, I never get rid of those, you know, certain books I keep and cause I, I just read so many, I but, keep all but, of my, uh, yeah, the founder's second amendment was the one I know I would have kept that. So I must've lent it to somebody. Okay. You want to know a trick? Get labels, you know, put your name, address and phone number on the label mm-hmm. and then stick it inside the, the leaf of the book uh-huh. and date it. Yeah. And it'll be lost wherever it is. No, with no, the label no, no, inside. no. Cause whoever you loan it to <laughs> will see that. And they, when they get done reading it, if they're any kind of a friend, they'll send it back. Oh. Because otherwise, who you loan it to will have the same memory issue you have, and they'll forget who loaned it to them. And I've got another book you need to put on your list to read, and it's called Tyrus. Tyrus. You ever watch uh, Gutfield show on Saturday night? No, on Monday I, know, I night? never watch Gutfield. Okay, well, there's a big, huge wrestler, about 370 pounds and six foot nine. And his name's Tyrus, and he's kind of a co-host on the show. Uh huh. I read it in a day. It was that good. <laughs> it was that good. It's I'll really, have to look for that. Yeah. I, the, the, well, I'll loan it to you when I get it back. I've got it loaned out to. Is your name so, uh, on the inside? It of the sure cover is. Of the and I. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's a that's a good book to read if you. What do you mean you don't watch Gutfeld? He's funny. Yeah, that's what my mom says. My mom says he's funny. She must, likes must him? be an age thing. Yeah, yeah, she likes him. What do you mean it's an age thing? <laughs> what is this age thing? You go, you take one day off and get squirted, and now all of a sudden it's an age thing. Yeah, okay, well, that's, that makes perfectly good sense. So, yeah, I got a lot of stuff to talk about there. Um, so, did you guys, how many different pepper sprays? Are you going to talk about this later? Um, no, I'm not going to talk about it later. So I'm what, talking about... Uh, what kind of... Because everybody says Palm is the way to go. Yeah, the P-O-M? thing about... Well, Palm and Saber is the other one that you see out there. Uh, the thing with, that we found out about pepper spray that I didn't realize is it's not really highly regulated. It's interesting. Bear spray is more regulated because of the animal aspect and the EPA and all that. Really? Yeah. People pepper spray is not really that tightly regulated. And there is a wide variety in the potency of the peppers that they use to, you know, to extract yeah. the oil that they use in pepper spray. And uh, so there's a big difference there. Uh, in things and the only two palm and uh, saber the only two that test regularly to, mm. to ensure the uh, the potency of the stuff that they're using to create their sprays okay um, but I mean 
people rate them differently. You know, you'll see these Scoville uh, Scoville right. heat units. Right. Right. Well, it's that Scoville heat units are a a, a very arbitrary thing. <laughs> They're a taste related thing. Something that's really super hot to somebody is not really super hot to yeah, somebody else. Like me, ketchup is and, super um, hot. Yeah, so just uh, <laughs> what kind of ketchup you use. Hunts. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of differences there, but uh, they say generally speaking, uh, palm and saber is good. Uh, the palm, what's nice about palm is they're smaller, and you're more likely to carry it. They're easier to carry. Saber's a little bit bigger, but uh, but yeah, it was a good class. Um, so we're going to do that. I'm teaching a, a group of realtors here. I'm doing a uh, a situational awareness and pepper spray class on the first for mm. a group of realtors in Santee. So, so I'll be able to use that information a little bit. Cool. Well, you know, because I mean, it's I I think it's a good backup device, you know, for people that you know are looking for for some form of protection. Well, it's good for concealed carriers. You know, most problems are not gun problems. So unless you're Unless you've taken the time to train and you've got empty-handed skills or you're young enough to still be able to run or something like that, it's, it's nice to have, uh, have some other alternative. And the, uh, the pepper spray is a good alternative. It'll give you some time maybe uh, you know, to do something else or to get away really is what it's for. Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, like a, a, but to me, I think that's another product that you need to practice with. Um, yeah. Like oh. a gun. I mean, you know, I mean, if you don't, because, you know, if you're panicking, you're squirting and it's going every which way. Yeah, that's true. But fortunately, it doesn't take long to develop that skill. So, uh, no, I think you, you get that spray down in a Got it down to a science. Yeah, class or two. I'll have to try that out. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. So Steve Vargas is running for Orange County Supervisor. Why should gun owners support him? Let's find out next. But first, if you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call California firearms lawyer John Dillon. If you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you just need to know that your guns are California compliant. Call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws. Call 760-642-7150, or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com. So, you're going to take care of the Mr. Vargas interview? If he's here, is uh, Mr. Vargas here? I I am. Steve, you are. Welcome, Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you very much for allowing me to uh, participate. Oh, it's good to have you here. So, um, for the uh, for the audience, I guess for the listeners, uh, who is Steve Vargas? I already told him, but you know, tell him some more, Steve. Who are you? What's well, your background? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, it I'm just so happy to be up in Washington State right now, uh, not in my district, running for uh, supervisor. Um, I'm actually got called to active duty in, in the military, so I. I'm still in the reserves, and um, I'm up here doing beach surveys uh, with DISCA, which is the Defense Support for C- Civil Authorities. Mm. So we actually uh, we've already knocked out eight beaches. We got about six more beaches to go, and um, 
uh, also doing the uh, Quinault Indian Reservations up here. Wow, you're a busy guy. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so bad is, timing. But, uh, I was going to say, they picked a heck of a time to have you go do this, isn't it? Yes. So that's good. Well, so that's you've just, been... Uh, it'll make you stronger. So you've been doing that for quite a while, Steve. I've seen uh, you've had a number of deployments overseas and everything like that. Yes. Uh, so I've actually I, I joined out of high school, eighty to eighty six. I was actually out for seventeen years, and then came back after nine eleven. I had, you know, I have five daughters, and and uh, I went to my wife and said, "Honey, what do you think about me joining the reserves? Because they bombed my city. I'm from New York, uh, Puerto Rican from New York City, and." Uh, my girls weren't going, so uh, so I joined up, and I've been in for the last uh, well, a total of twenty four years, the last eighteen years as a reservist. Okay, great. And Steve, you do you got a quite a um, you've got a lot of experience in public service too, so you've been pretty politically active. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about your background there. Sure. So so I actually, you know, I've actually been elected three times. I, I served on the Spray City Council from. Um, 98 to 202. I was off for about 12 years and then came back in 2014. Um, and I've been reelected uh, since. So I, I won in 2014 and then won again in uh, 2018. And uh, this is this would be my my final year on the council. Um, I, I when I'm elected uh, June 7th, um, I will still be on the council until the end of the year. And uh, just looking forward to continuing to serve. Okay, great. And you've decided to uh, go after the uh, county supervisor seat, correct? That is correct. Um, I, I've done a lot of work in Brea. And and a matter of fact, when, when I started, generally the council people are, are I would say, more retirement age. And, and when you are done raising your family and, and working, you, you want to continue to serve. So you, you uh, get involved with um, civil service or civic service. Um, I actually got involved early on um, just, just because of my, my work schedule. I worked rotating shift work and I had different times off and I, I got involved and um, and I just got a passion for it and just kept with it all these years. So, so actually when I'm coming towards the end of this uh, city council uh, term, I, there's no term limits in my city so I could run again. Um, but I feel like I've done uh, I've done enough in my city that I, I want to continue on and and go on a, the uh, the bigger uh, opportunity as far as service goes uh, because the the work that I'm doing at, in Brea and it's not just me of course there's five members on our council so it's the entire council that does everything but uh, I feel that I could do more at the county level and and uh, from what I've learned at the local level. So what is the uh, what's the supervisor environment like? up there um, in Orange County? Because I know it's it's a little bit challenging for us down here in San Diego County. Um, sure. But what's, what's the landscape like up there? What are you going to be walking into uh, when you're elected? Sure. Well, well let me, uh, well, first of all, I, my duty is actually down at Coronado. So so I go once a month, and I'm, I'm on active duty now since since April, down in Coronado at, at the uh, NAB base down there. So I'm, I'm in your neck of the woods uh, all the time. So I'd, I'd love to come in to, to, your, uh, to your studio sometime in the in the near future to, to give you some more oh we can definitely but, uh, arrange that yeah but let me let me let me ask to answer your question so we currently have um uh three positions available three uh supervisory districts available the fifth district which is down 
southern southern area southern orange county um and then we have a new due to um districting the, the redistricting process we have a, a new central anaheim uh santa Ana district uh that's heavily skewed uh towards uh democrats i think it's uh, uh 36 36 uh, uh, uh percent uh republican and, and uh non-party preference and the rest is all democrats so it's significant uh and then you have my district which is the fourth district which is uh, a purple district that's evenly split um it's actually leans democrat but it's uh, split as far as how they vote uh we're we're rather uh, uh conservative up in uh the fourth district that's kind of one of the opportunities that we have is that with me running against two Democrats, there's Sonny Park, the mayor of Buena Park, and then Doug Chafee is the current board chairman. Um, well, they're beating each other up pretty bad, and it's, uh, it's really quite sad. Um, <laughs> some of the pieces that I've seen, uh, I'm glad they're not attacking me, but uh, they're, they're hitting each other pretty bad, and it's uh, um, leaving me as as consolidating the Republican vote in this district that I, I seem to be uh, uh, going strong. Well, let's go. What is the makeup right now? Because I'm not familiar with your um, your board up in Orange County. What's the makeup, uh, Republican and Democrat up there? So we have, we actually have uh, uh, Don Wagner is the second district. He's a, a solid Republican. Andrew Doe, solid Republican. Um, and then uh, you have uh, Katrina Foley, who's a uh, very liberal Democrat, um, and then uh, Doug Chafee, of course, who's more of a moderate um, Democrat, uh, and then uh, the, the other one is uh, Lisa Bartlett, who's turned out, um, and she's running for a uh, another seat. But the, that's where we're at right now. Is that uh, if I can pull this off and win uh, June seventh, uh, because we're the two Democrats are splitting this seat, we would have a solid Republican majority. Um, leading into the November primaries. We guarantee that we have three Republicans in that seat. And then if we get, and, and when we get, the fifth district then, that will give us four Republicans, which is solid. And, and when I say Republicans, this is a nonpartisan uh, position, of course. Uh, of course. But, but there's some craziness going on in, in all the politics. And, and I think that the Republicans are, have got a better handle on how we can pull ourselves out of it and, and maintain our, our area. Yeah, and it's just you know it's a difference in philosophy, I guess, because we have a you know, we have a pretty severe problem down here in San Diego, and uh, it's you know you would think that at least they could work together on some things, and it wouldn't be quite so split like that. But when you're you know down here, it's it's three Democrat to two Republicans, and things just get passed you know three to two, three to two, three to two over and over again. Um, I don't know that the system was intended to go that way, but uh, it's certainly like that nowadays. So it sounds like you got a good chance at, um, you know, at doing something productive up there, which is nice. It's good to hear. Yes, of course. And well, you know, just being just being a Republican or or even a Democrat uh, does not guarantee you're going to vote right. And and as as you guys are aware, particularly down in San Diego, I, I know you're getting impact with uh, the drugs coming over the border and and just the the uh, uh, migrant uh, crisis that's going on. Um, so I know you guys are getting slammed, uh, but that's all that's all coming north. And what we're trying to do is, is be a backstop. Uh, particularly, we're squeezing between the very liberal L.A. politics and then what's going on from San Diego. So, so we're kind of 
we need to hold the line up here and give us some some breathing room. Hopefully, inspire you guys in San Diego. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty bad. So, you know, I'm tempted to ask you, you know, what's it like up there in terms of, uh, you know, the politics in your area? Is it is it reasonably civil or is it is it like it? I mean, I, I know what the answer is, but uh, you know, I was just tempted to ask it anyway. Or is it to the point where it's it's hard to get anything productive done because of the um, because of just the the I don't know. It seems like the dislike. I guess you know, people are politicians nowadays and people in the country are so it seems like we're so different or so split it's hard to get anything really um really productive done you've got to be a really uh a really skilled politician i think to get anything you know good for the people through well one of the things that i did in Brighton, which is kind of really motivated me to to go to, the, to this next step is um i had the opportunity to be, be the mayor last year um of Brea. One of the most north, northern Orange County cities, and we got a great community uh, in Brea, um, very solid. Uh, you know, 99% of the votes are 5-0, but I'm that one guy that, that raises my hand and says, "Oh, uh, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to raise the water rates anymore." You know, for example, you know, and um, so, so I've I've been kind of that that guy that uh, sticks his hands up and once in a while and says, uh, "I don't agree with that," or I question certain certain uh, policies or. Uh, ways we go about shifting money around. Um, that's one of the things that I'd like to do uh, at the Board of Supervisors as well is put some fresh eyes on that. Uh, my background is, is business uh, as far as um, I've worked for Chevron for 20 years and retired just a year and a half ago. worked for Edison for seven years. And um, uh, so I'm more of a, you know, coming from a, a business perspective or a corporate perspective. Uh, <clears throat> I think I can bring a, a new, fresh set of eyes on on uh, the way the board does business. Okay. Hey, Steve, hang in there for a minute. We're going to take a quick break, pay a couple sure. bills, and we'll bring you right back. Yes, sir. All right, folks, this is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, when you're looking for jewelry or fine watches, you need to go to San Diego's top jewelry shop, Leo Hamels. Conveniently located in the heart of San Diego, visit Leo's showroom at 1851 San Diego Avenue to see their hand-picked line of new jewelry and watches. And when you buy from Leo Hamill, not only do you get the best deal, you are also supporting the Second Amendment. Support the companies that support the 2A. Call 619-299-1500. Or you can visit their showroom on San Diego Avenue. And always get awesome service at Leo's. Call 619-299-1500. Or you can stop by their showroom at 1851 San Diego Avenue, just off the five freeway. All right. So we're uh, back here with Steve Vargas, who's the Republican candidate for uh, Board of Supervisors up in Orange County. And um, Steve, this being a gun show, I suppose we got to ask about guns. <laughs> um, so what's your, your experience with, uh, with guns and firearms and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, so, so I'm uh, 
certainly qualified. We qualify every two years. Actually, uh, have to maintain our our quals. So I'm a uh, expert on the pistol and uh, on the M4. I'm a sharpshooter. Uh, my my crew serve weapon is a Mark 19 mortar fire machine gun, but uh, I haven't fired that in 15 years. So <laughs> unfortunately, we don't. You know, that's not something that we have to maintain uh, as as reservists. Uh, that was on active duty. But um, I, I have uh, quite a few of my own weapons. Uh, uh, my favorite is the 38 Super, the, the 1911 model, and uh, I, I actually like that. That's the best, most most accurate for me. All right, you actually took one of our questions. One of our uh, co-hosts here, Action Jackson, who is nine yeah. now, I believe. Yeah. So uh, yeah, actually, I was going to ask you that very question about your favorite gun, but you stole oh, yeah. it from him. Yeah. But you know what? I bet Action Jackson, I bet uh I'd like to know why that's his favorite gun. What do you think of that one? Yeah, why is right. that your favorite gun? Well, Action Jackson, that, that was actually the my captain when I was first on a, a submarine and uh his name was uh Captain Jackson. We called him Action Jackson because he took us out to sea two hundred and sixty five days out of three sixty five one year. So he was a, a, a hard charger. Just, but anyway, um, why is it my favorite gun? It's because it's the most accurate um, that I have. I like the weight of it. Uh, I also qualified on the 45 uh, my first time, and it was also a 1911 uh, model. And so I'm, I, I guess I'm just particular to that that model and that that feel. So I like that the best. Cool. All right. Well, good. Yeah, Steve. I didn't know you were a submarine guy. I guess uh, yeah. now you guys are kindred spirits. So's Joe. Oh, Joe. <laughs> well, yeah, Steve, you're a young man, though. You weren't there when I was there, probably. Well, no, uh, <laughs> at least or not. We we have. I'm a called. I'm called a unicorn. That means uh, I went through the enlisted ranks. I've been an E5 three times. We got busted once or twice. And um, <laughs> oh, we could talk. <laughs> I became a chief, and then a chief warrant officer, and um, chief warrant officer three, and. Uh, Big Navy, they did away with the warrant officers because, because you know, I'm a CB, so the other countries they don't know how to you know how to treat us. Are we enlisted or are we uh, officers? Well, a warrant officer is of course a commissioned officer, but um, but the other countries don't have them, so they they don't know how to treat us. So Big Navy said, well, we're just going to make you a straight lieutenant since you've been a warrant for four years. So yeah, I actually uh, I've, I've been through the ringer. So um, I, I started in 1980, and um, and I, like I said, I got out for 17 years, but yeah, I was originally a submariner, machinist mate, and uh, I was a ship's diver. So I was a submarine a scuba diver. A submarine has to have three three divers on board. So I did that my first tour. And um, and then, of course, when I came back in after 17 years, I was a general contractor at the time. So the, the local recruiter was a buddy of mine. And he said, um, hey, we're looking for contractors. And they brought me back in at the E5. So uh yeah, I've, I've been uh, I've been through those. I've did everything the hard way. All right, great. Were you uh, an attack on attack boats or boomers? Yes, yes. The USS Shark it was uh, the S S class or the, uh, the it was actually the Scorpion class, but the Scorpion went down. So okay, they, they yeah, had to change that name. Okay. Yeah, five ninety one. All right, well, very good. Sounds like you were there in my era. <laughs> so <laughs> hey. Um, uh, no, I, what I, I wanted to ask you just back to the gun thing. Um, you know, since uh, you're uh, you know you're running for office, obviously a politician, uh, elected official, and all that, 
And uh, as a supervisor, you don't have a lot. I mean, you know, you come into contact with this kind of stuff, but uh, for a lot of gun owners, these things are important for, um, you know, for the elected officials. And people are curious about how you feel about some of these things. And um, the red flag laws are a big deal down here. We've got somebody running for sheriff right now, um, unfortunately endorsed by the Republican Party, who's not a real good red flag uh, person here. And I was curious what your thoughts are on the red flag laws. Right. So, well, first of all, so let me let me tell you about. Uh, so, I have I have my concealed weapons permit in Texas, um, and uh, so that's good for 38 states. And and I'm supporting Don Barnes, who's who's running unopposed because I love what he's doing as far as uh, making sure that we we can get our concealed weapons uh, permits. Uh, and then Todd Spitzer, the DA, uh, he's he's holding the line as far as making sure that we don't turn to, um, you know, like L.A., like Gaston. Uh, so he's, he's actually helping us to prosecute uh, criminals. And, and one, of my, one of my taglines is, is, you know, for my campaign is that I want to put handcuffs on criminals and other sheriff's deputies and police officers. And I don't, we don't want to end up having all these smashing grabs uh, like L.A. And, and, and others. We've had a couple there. And so I want to catch and latch the lawbreakers. You know? And that's where, that's where the supervisor's role as far as supporting these experts that already know how to do their job, like the district attorney, like our sheriffs. I'm not an expert at those things, um, but that's my role is to make sure that they have the funding uh, to do their job. As far as the uh, red flag laws, you're, you're talking about um, like when you're, you, if you have a domestic violence or something like that, that, that uh, you get flagged. Um, yeah, so, not actually. Yeah, they're worse than that. It's not not so much that somebody's um, actually done that. It's that somebody might say that, "Ooh, you might do that," or yeah. "I think I feel threatened," and that person has guns. It's that kind of thing more. Yes, or or how about if you if you speak out on a school board meeting that all of a sudden you're, you're, oh you mean a, a, a domestic terrorist that kind <laughs> of stuff <laughs> yeah right I mean, so those are obviously ridiculous laws and ridiculous uh, you know. Uh, proposals put forward by liberals and, and that's one of the things why we need to maintain a conservative i won't say republican board i'll say conservative board because you might have republicans in there that aren't not on my board of course but on other councils that are that are not as solid so so we definitely need a conservative board of supervisors and that's what, what i'm pushing for no i think that's 100 percent accurate too to phrase it that way right because um you know the thing with the the red flag laws and just you know being a supervisor i mean obviously you know, the, the legislature creates the laws, the governor signs them into effect and everything, and, um, you know, sheriffs and people like that have to enforce them. But uh, even as a supervisor, I mean, the sheriff is an elected office, so they're, they've got, you know, a bit of uh, freedom as to how they want to act. And if you've got, um, you know, sheriffs like, like Chad Bianco or uh, even Alex Villanueva, um, you know, they could uh, be pretty independent, but still the supervisors control their budgets, they control their funding. Um, the supervisors, you know, have a, a fair amount of influence, I think, on ha on that stuff, even though they don't write the laws or enforce the laws. And uh, they could, you know, they can influence uh, how things go. So it's good to hear you feel that way. Yeah, well, if I could expand, uh, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I don't know how much time we have, but if, uh, I'll talk as long as you'll have me and, and certainly willing to come into the studio. But can I give you a little bit more about that, that oh. kind of aspect? Yeah, of please role? do. All right, so... So the and I, and I don't have numbers from me. I'm up here in Washington State, but but um, I know that the the uh, 
uh, sheriffs. He's got $899 million budget. The, the district attorney, I think it's $750 million, right? Well, it's looking into those uh, into those details of that. I actually interviewed with the um, Association of uh, Orange County Deputy District Attorneys who, who endorsed me. And, and I told him, I said, listen, I know I'm running against the, the chairman of the board, and so if you can't endorse me, I understand. But if you just stay out of it, that would that would be a win for me. You know, so I asked him, you know, hey, if you can't endorse me, you know, just just stay out of it. I'll be happy. Well, they came back and they said, no, we're going to endorse you because I brought I dug into their budget and I said, well, here, how, how about this? You you guys are losing, you know, five million dollars for your your uh, uh, district attorneys, your your the uh, 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 defense attorneys, and they said. What? Well, that was the proposed budget, and then when they got the the uh, the uh, actual budget. They didn't realize that in the proposed budget they were going to lose some money. Well, they educated me on that, that subject because I was just asking them, well, why is this? And they educated me that they need to have good, solid defense attorneys, not to get people off, but just to have the efficiency courtroom. Because if the prosecutors have to educate the defense attorneys about how to do procedural things, because they're the you know the new guy or whatever. Or, or gal, um, that, that's taken up time, precious time that they could be cases through and, and be more efficient as, as prosecutors. So it, it's both sides of the coin that you have to look at. You can't just look at prosecuting everything and not have good defense because you got to have solid defense people to, to, to have an efficient system. And, and that's one of the things that you got to look at it from both sides to make sure that the funding's there. Well, it's good. You know, it's encouraging too to hear the uh, you know your view is the focus on on the criminal actually or on crime because um, you know we're seeing that all across the country, mostly in the cities, but the surge in violent crime. And I I thought I'd read that San Diego's violent crime went up like forty one percent here in the last year or so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, you know the focus and, and you always you use that or certain people use that as an excuse for more gun control kind of stuff because that's what they want to blame it on. And um, sure. You know, it's nice to see somebody focusing uh, a more conservative, focusing on the criminal, because because that's the issue. And um, you know, something I saw the other day, which I wasn't aware of, um, was something that uh, Doctor John Lott just came out with. He just wrote uh, about a study that came out. But um, most Americans think that firearms are involved in the majority of the violent crime in this country, and it turns out that firearms are involved in about eight percent of the violent crimes that take uh, place in this country. And, you know, but yet you see it used as, uh, you know, they beat this gun control uh, drum, I guess, you know, based on that kind of stuff. And, and people are really misinformed. So I think it's, uh, it's good to see somebody running for office up there that doesn't seem to be that misinformed. So that's good. Well, no, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Those comments, um, the smashing graphs, they're not using guns on us. No. You know, but how violent are those? Where you, you're, can you imagine you, you're walking through the mall with your kids and, and just, you're seeing this, this going on and, and the people just walking around like they're just taking stuff off the shelves and just, you know, nobody's, nobody can stop them because the, the, the corporate world is saying, oh, don't, it's a liability to, to get involved. Well, we, we need to have some more security guards out there, that's for sure. And there's, there's plenty that the private sector can do to, to, to have legit security guards that are actually able to uh, keep the weapon. Hey, hey, Steve. This has been a great, great interview. We appreciate it. How do people follow? How do people follow you around, or reach out, or help? Uh, well, certainly uh, uh, Vargas for Supervisor. The number four, Vargas for Supervisor. dot com is my is my web address. And then uh, just thank you so much for 
for having me. Like I said, I'm glad to come in the studio and do more. All right, buddy. We'll definitely work on that. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. There's a whole lot more right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio. FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, does it take too much time to clean your guns? Well, clean lube and protect your guns faster with Seal One. Seal One CLP Plus is natural, non toxic, and environmentally friendly. You can clean your guns easier and faster. You'll also smell better, too. Something that mom will appreciate. One and done with Seal One. And for ask for it by name at your local gun shop or get some on their website at seal1.com. That's Seal One, the number one that is dot com. All right, Joe. So what have you been up to? You want to talk about that pepper spray class you took? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, once you talk about pepper spray, it's just pepper spray. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it was actually uh, no, it was a good class. Did I, you have I, bear? Did you have bear spray too? Uh, we did not have bear spray. We talked about bear spray, but, um, but, um, no, it's a good class. I try to take those classes as often as I can. And, uh, David Reed up at the Lemon Grove Rod and Gun Club has been really good at bringing in national instructors. Uh, we've taken, uh, classes from Brian Hill. Um, this guy, uh, this week was Chuck Haggard. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had Tatiana Whitlock in there. So, uh, he tries to get national uh, instructors to come down and do a class. And uh, he hosts those. So it's, uh, it's been pretty good. So, I, you know, as an instructor, I always like to take classes, especially if I could take classes from other instructors. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, from other, you know, national kind of sure. instructors. So it's always good because you could always pick up things in those classes that you can use in these classes. But, um, you know, lots of different things going on. We were going to talk about something in that first uh, segment. We didn't get to it. But the, um, there's uh, a couple of senators that have, that have proposed a um, – a national uh, licensing scheme. I don't know if you heard about that one uh, for firearms. So they want you to, uh, you know, at the federal level, you would have to apply for a license to buy a gun. And mm-hmm. it's um, it's three senators, three state senators, or actually three senators from uh, New Jersey. Two from New Jersey, one from Connecticut. But it's uh, Bob Menendez. That name might be familiar. I think he just barely escaped uh, prison a while ago. And yet he is still the senator there. Um, Cory Booker, you remember Spartacus, right? So, uh, Cory Booker and then, uh, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. But, um, it's interesting what they're proposing. Cause it's from what I hear, it's very similar to what, what they have in New Jersey. And, um, you know, if they were successful with this, uh, when you wanted to buy a firearm, you'd have to apply to the federal government. Uh, you would be issued a, um, a license to purchase a firearm the license would be good for one firearm, and you'd have to purchase the firearm within 30 days, I think it said, of the license, of getting the license. And, um, again, that's supposed to uh, make us all safer and things like that. But um, very interesting that they would propose this stuff now. And uh, if you read what Booker says about it, you know, they're taking advantage of the Buffalo shooting like sure. they, you know, they always do. And, uh, you know, now is the time we need to get more gun control to stop this kind of stuff from, you know, and it's, it's all that same nonsense that mm-hmm. they uh, come up with. Um, but it's interesting that they do that. The other thing that, um, 
the article that I was reading what, that they were talking about was the um, if they were to pass that, if that were to become law, uh, because of the way it's written, it would effectively effectively raise the um, the age for being able to purchase a firearm to 21. And it's interesting because we just defeated that out here in California for mm-hmm. the uh, long guns. And I think Michael was talking about it a week or two ago here. And, um, you know, so it's interesting that uh, they propose that. But it's, uh, you know, that stuff just never stops. Well, it's nothing new. No, it isn't. It's all the same same kind of stuff. They just wait for the next event, and then they bring it up again. But, you know, they never do anything. Yeah. And, well, you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> scary. Too. I think the other thing driving it is, you know, with a little luck, there'll be a, a big shift in power here uh, in Congress in November. But, but you know, stop it just for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, they control the House. They control the Senate. They control the, the, the White House. But yet they can't pass any of these bills. Well, they don't exactly control the Senate. They're close. The Senate members are 50-50. So well, that's true. But, I mean, you would but think. between, what, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, yeah, you can't. You can't depend on it. Yeah. But Kamala is the tiebreaker there if they uh, need her on the Senate. But still, I see what you're saying. I mean, they're not they're not getting anything done, and it's um no. You know, part of it I think is because of the stuff is the stuff is so outrageous mm-hmm. that even even those three don't come across a lot. Um, you know, to support these things. Right. But um, but yeah, this one too. Again, it's just a, it'll be interesting. Uh, and I'll talk to our next guest too about this a little bit. Uh, because he's a uh, you know a historian and an expert basically in the Constitution and constitutional law, and it's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see when the the Supreme Court um, opinion is going to come out here shortly, probably next week or the week after, because the session's over in June. Mm-hmm. So it's they've got to make these announcements here in the next week or two. But the um, the big Second Amendment case that everybody's waiting on, it'll be interesting to see. Um, to see what they they uh, actually come out and how they rule if they rule very narrowly like they do often or if they rule more widely like uh, hopefully they'll do on this one and and kind of fix these laws because all these things you know should be unconstitutional they should have been fixed years ago yeah and that's what happens and i think now it's been that kind of thing has been overshadowed by uh by the leak with the the roe v wade uh opinion. which you know that was done intentionally um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of what the intent would have been. I mean, to why, stir up all this, you know, but they animosity, were going, but they were going to announce that anyway. And I don't know if, um, you know, cause on the one hand, maybe they thought that, that they could um, change the mind of the judges. Exactly. Which, um, what they're doing again, then that's another problem that we have in this country now is we don't enforce the laws or we enforce the laws for one side, but not the other. Right. Right. And intimidating judges or justices is clearly, clearly against federal law. And nobody, and nobody's doing anything. No, about it. DOJ won't do a thing about well, it. Well, look they at won't the border. Anything. The border's the and, same thing. There's laws to, you know, the first thing the government and the president is supposed to do is protect us. Yeah. See, and I, and I think that's what gets us into a very dangerous area as a country. Because now, if, if we're blatantly just not going to obey the laws, I mean, where where does that where does it end? Where does that lead us to? Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you could see them now. I mean, all right, the idea might have been to see if you could intimidate one of those justices or two of those justices to change their vote. Um, but even beyond that, now this this inciting uh, the violence that's starting to happen mm-hmm. here with the uh, on, and I can't, you know, it's, well, I'm there's not, death threats against the judges now. Oh yeah, and they do that kind of stuff. And but again, it's uh, you know, I, I, and they I try, know who's doing it. 
Yeah, and I and I try to be reasonable about it, but I mean, you, you got to call a spade a spade too when yeah. you do this kind of stuff. And it's just when you've got the mayor of Chicago saying that this is a call to arms. You know, if, if a Republican says something like that, it's the oh. end of the world. Yeah. You know, and uh, their career is over. But you know, when they and you've got the media saying, okay, the White House is bracing for possible violence based on the court opinion. And no, you're not bracing for it. You're instigating it. Yeah. You're, you're hoping for it. Exactly. And, um, I, you know, it's just a real dangerous direction for us to be going. In well, that. yeah, it's it's not getting any better. Let's put it that way. And it's and everybody is watching to see what we're going to do. Yeah, and it's you know, and you would think uh, that's why it was a little bit puzzling with the, um, you know, with doing this leak. I guess because they they could have waited just for the. Um, you know, for the opinion to come down in June mm -hmm. and then try to stir all this up between June and November to try to influence the election. Well, a they're bit. not the sharpest pencil in the box. Well, they're, they're sharper than the team that's in second place. That's for sure. <laughs> well, there is something to be said for that. I, you know, it's, it's, it's when you can't, when you, when you just can't imagine it getting any crazier, it gets crazier. Yeah. And, and again, that's the thing with this gun stuff, like with this licensing scheme, uh, you know, part of that's to take advantage of, you know, the shooting in, in Buffalo. The other part might be, again, a panic because, um, you know, they may not have that kind of control in, in Congress in November anymore, after November. So they may not be able to, you know, even pass that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's very interesting. Um, but like I said, the, um, you know, we have uh, Steve Hallbrook on here next. Um, you know, that's going to be pretty interesting because that's his, uh, his area of expertise. I'm mm. sure he's going to have a lot to say about that. Well, you know, like I said, it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to that interview as well. So, yeah, we'll get to that. The, um, you know, the other thing, too, we didn't talk about is uh, that has a gun aspect to it was the, you've heard of the uh, the World Health Organization, the treaty that they're trying to push with that. You're going to get me all fired up, aren't you? <laughs> Can well, you even believe that they're going to even, cons well, I think, didn't Biden already sign it? Um, I think Tuesday, I think this coming week, they're they're in Sweden or somewhere. Um and I, I thought that was the scheme because they're calling it a treaty, but I, it can't be a real treaty. I thought the Senate had to approve a real treaty. Well, that's what I thought too. And but, and already states are sending letters and and saying, yeah, yeah, I saw <clears> that. <throat> I mean, are you kidding me? Well, because again, the scary thing, you know, they they use it again under the guise of a pandemic, right? Well, of course. And, and that's you know the the World Health Organization would I, apparently, if they sign this thing. Uh, the idea is they would be able to come in and dictate what we would do in this mm -hmm, country mm -hmm. based on based on declaring um, this pandemic or something. And somebody, uh, I was listening to somebody on the radio the other day, and um, they were pointing out that we know the World Health Organization has been calling gun violence a pandemic for years. And so does that mean, can they step in now and say, you know, at, at the next shooting, Mm -hmm. And say that okay, it's uh, you know it's time for us to do confiscate all the confiscation or mm -hmm. yeah some other restrictions. Well, um, of course, that, and that way, the White House can say, well, you know, it's WHO, it's not us. Well, yeah, and that and seeing that's the difference between the two sides. You know, Steve was saying, you know, rather than call it Republican, he he was calling it conservative, which I think is a better way to do. It. I think that's more accurate. Um, but you know, you have elitists i guess that are mostly on the left who unfortunately control the democratic party right now mm -hmm. and um you know they are more globalist and they are more in alignment with this this idea of you know you let these world organizations control things well i guess who controls the who that's right yes yeah, our friends in china yes <laughs> china china
All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks. Welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961. AM 1170. The answer. Well, a lot of companies are so frustrated with their websites. It looks old, it's hard to update, and it's not generating any leads. Well, SageTree gets it. Since 2005, SageTree has been helping companies with websites that look great, work great, and get leads. Stop being an embarrassed embarrassment to your website and get one that you're proud to share. Contact SageTree today to get a website that makes the phone ring. Getting started is easy. Go to SageTree.com, schedule a call. Go to SageTree.com and press that schedule a call button. All right, Joe, what's your chatting about today? So we got a Get a Grip article here. Um, So a new article here. I'll be posting it probably tonight or tomorrow morning, as usual. (laughs) As usual. Um, Writing about a guy named Steve uh, Dettelbach, who is the current um, nominee to head the ATF from the Biden administration. Oh, is this an, oh I haven't heard about this guy. And, uh, yeah, I didn't either. You know, I, was, um, I saw an article the other day. There's a really good gun writer that writes on Ammo, Ammo Land uh, named um, Lee Williams, who I want to try to get on the show here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, he was writing about it. And uh, the Senate hearings are supposed to start uh, either this coming week or the following week, uh, his confirmation hearings. And uh, it was interesting. Started looking at this guy, and um, you know, obviously he's a um, you know he's going to be an anti-gun sure. zealot, pretty much like the last one. But you remember the last, uh, the first nominee was uh, David Chipman, mm-hmm. and uh, I wrote a couple of articles about it. And David Chipman was a just a hardcore anti-Second Amendment zealot, right? And uh, but the thing with Chipman, uh, you know, this guy's probably his feelings, you know, toward the Second Amendment and rights and everything are probably similar to Chipman's. But Chipman was a lunatic. Um, I mean, he was nutty, and and that was one of the big things. I mean, even um, even Romney and Murkowski and Collins wouldn't support him because he had said so many things that were outrageous that I, he was just nuts. And he couldn't tell that he couldn't explain an AR either. Well, yeah, that was one of many things. And you know what's nice too about uh, you know one of the the upside to our our social media and everything today is that you can find video on everybody saying everything. So, you know, if you have somebody that's prone to these nutty comments and statements and things like that, it's really easy to find it. And uh, so I think that was a a lot of what sunk Chipman. Um, This guy, uh, Dettelbach, though, doesn't seem to be that way. Um, 
he seems to be again he's uh he's an anti-gun guy he's supported by every town um and uh you know the nra gave him an f rating for uh for guns the uh the National Shooting Sports Foundation is uh, vigorously opposed to him. Mm-hmm. So he's an anti-gun guy, which, again, what you would expect because, um, you know, the Biden administration is probably the most anti-gun mm-hmm. administration we've seen in this country, I think, um, far more so than, than Obama was right. or than Clinton was. You know, even though they did, you know, we got the gun, the AR ban, I think, was during Clinton's term but um, or terms. But, um, you know, they're way, I think, over the top here in the, uh, you know, with the Biden administration. So I would expect somebody like that. And it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate. We'll have to see how the, the Senate hearings go to see how this guy uh, presents himself. Um, because he's supposed to be pretty smooth. Um, he ran for attorney general in Ohio, and he ran unsuccessfully for that out there. Um, but I guess that's when he first got on the radar with the NRA and um, the National Shooting Sports Foundation and those people. Um, but it'll be interesting um, to see how it goes here because, like I said, um, you know, Chipman was a, a just a nut job, so yeah, it was totally. uh, it was easy to get rid of him. This guy, I think, is more dangerous. You know, it's like it's like with, with criminals. You know, if you see somebody that looks like Charles Manson, you know, that's a little bit easier. It's like, okay, I, I know what that is. You see somebody that looks like um, like Ted Bundy, that's a little bit different. You know, I think this this guy's more along the lines of the table. Well, and this guy's time. not stupid. He's already no. seen what happened with the last nominee, so he's going to be prepared. Yeah, and I think Williams men- mentions that in his article, too, uh, because the Biden administration didn't really do a good job in— Of vetting? In, well, not only that, but laying the foundation and supporting the Chipman nomination. Um, according to Williams, uh, he was saying that the, the Biden administration just more or less threw him out there and let him sink or swim, and he sunk— <laughs> Uh, this time around, I think they're they're doing a lot more prep work and uh, seeing what they can do, and uh, you know it seems like they probably vetted this guy a little bit more, and it's uh, you know it's unfortunate that you know you can't even expect to have you know somebody that's going to head an agency that's supposed to regulate firearms you know for for the civilian population mm-hmm. ownership and and you know lawful use should be neutral. You would think, yeah, or, or at least reasonably neutral, but. Um, I mean, just follow the law. I mean, we're all entitled to carry and own a weapon in discussion. Well, yeah, it should it, be like that. I mean, really? I mean, if you if you steal it or if you break in and rob it or if you take the serial numbers off, you know, if you do all of the things that laws are already on the books, just follow the laws. Yeah, and they, you know, and there's a, a fair amount of people that would argue that the, you know, the ATF expends more resources you know, going after law-abiding citizens than they do going after criminals. And it's too hard. You know, there's, I mean, you can make a good argument for that, I guess. And especially now, you know, in our environment that we have now, where a lot of federal agencies have been, I don't know if corrupted is the right word, but they've been weaponized. You see them using the FBI to attack political opponents. You see the same thing with the DOJ. That's what we were just talking about a few minutes ago with, um, Okay, the these people protesting or intimidating these mm-hmm, justices, mm-hmm. you know, going to their houses. It's, it's one thing to protest in a park. If you're going to go to somebody's house though and be violently screaming and yelling, and DOJ will do nothing. No. And you know, so in that kind of environment, you can see how how the person they want to run the ATF, uh, you know, is probably going to be along those lines as well. Why are cartels still in business? Well. <laughs> Well, that, that's what I'm saying. They don't, you know, there's plenty of uh, criminals to focus on should they choose to do that. Yeah. I so, mean, 
it's it's almost the cartels are running our country. Yeah, and we'll just uh, we'll have to see how this goes this week or whenever they uh, they start these hearings with this guy. Um, have you done any background on him yet? Uh, just a little bit, um, and uh, just because, like I said, I, I got I got to do six hundred or seven hundred uh, seven hundred words worth oh, <laughs> background. You, you got work to but, do, but yeah, from the stuff that I found, uh, his history in, in um, Ohio, and I I tend to look a lot at okay, who endorses this guy? Right. Because the other thing, the um, who's it? The Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, you know, endorses them or him, and. Um, you know, again, that's that's those, not good. No, well, but those people, but those aren't rank and file cops. No, that's what I said. That's not good. Yeah, usually, you know, it's like when you see the, um, the um, like the police chiefs association and stuff mm. like that. These are all political guys. They they go in the direction sure. that you know the the political power is in. So it's not it's not surprising that they're endorsing him. Uh, they they said there was a 140 ex uh, Justice Department employees. Um, the heck is that? Oh, people that got fired? Uh, no, apparently people that are still there uh, endorsed him. Uh, well, I guess they got, yeah, they left anyway. But um, Yeah, they're not there anymore. Former employees. But again, you know, those those are the kinds of endorsements. Um, that's you know, a red flag in my book. Well, yeah, with me too. I mean, that's how I, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be a red flag, but it is just based on what you know. I mean, what you see from these people. You know, the fact that the NRA gives them an F rating, that's that, that's a, a nice um you know, a good data point. Yeah. But the other one is too, the uh, NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, that's another good organization in terms of, of looking at it from a gun owner's what they point give of view. You? Uh, they are vigorously opposed. I don't think they have a letter system, mm. but, um, but they came out against him way back when he was running for attorney general and uh, in Ohio, and uh, they're doing the same thing. And, you know, this guy apparently supports um, red flag laws. He supports uh, the AR bans. He supports the bans on um, standard capacity magazines, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the um, Every Town USA was very excited about him. So you know that's that's kind of the thing that I would uh, okay. base my opinion on. Anyway, that's where I would look. But um, so we'll see what happens, though. Should uh, be interesting. Yeah, another another be. circus. So uh, yeah, take a look at the article, and uh, it'll be posted tonight or tomorrow morning. Probably tomorrow morning, folks. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, don't go anywhere, Stephen Hallbrook is up next right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. So Stephen Halbrook is one of the leading experts on the historical underpinnings of the Second Amendment and practical knowledge in this area of law. Coming up next. Hey, did you know we have a world-class training school at San Diego Flight Training International? Pilots can fly 360 out of 365 days a year. We're close to the ocean, deserts, and we have mountains too. And we're right next to an international border and a major military base. San Diego is one of the best places to learn how to fly in the world. Learn to fly in the heat heart of San Diego right at Montgomery Field. Getting started is easy. Give them a call at 858-569-1822. You can learn to fly at SDFTI. That's 858-569-1822. If Action Jackson can do it, so can you. Definitely. I know you can fly. Just throw you out the window. 
There we go. So who you got? So uh, we should have Stephen Halbrook here. Stephen, are you online? I sure am. Well, Stephen, well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. You know, it's um, it's funny. Uh, I was going to well, because you've written a, a number of books, at least ten, I think. And um, you know, I've read two of them for sure because. Uh, <laughs> And I'd forgotten about it because, uh, uh, you know, Michael was telling me, yeah, you're going to have uh, Stephen Holbrook on there. And I said, okay, yeah, what's he done? And uh, yeah, Michael was saying he, he wrote one of your favorite books. You were raving about this thing. And I completely forgot about the Founders' Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, I'd gone, I'd gone home and I can't find the thing. And it's, just, it's bugging me to death because I would never give that book away. I'd have kept that one for a reference. Um, but yeah. I did find the other one that I really enjoyed, too, that I've read was the um, – the gun control in Nazi-occupied uh, France, which um, oh, yeah. I thought was just really, really interesting, uh, especially given what's going on, you know, in our country and what you see the the anti-gun folks doing. And, um, you know, when you, you read, I mean, your book, you guys, you covered that so well in there. And it's just, uh, it's frightening to see the similarities and how that stuff works. What's really incredible quite a parallel is gun control in Nazi-occupied France and what's going on right now in Ukraine. Um, It's the same kind of issue. Before the Russian attack, most guns were probably unregistered in Ukraine. There's these international gun control organizations that write up uh, how good or bad each country's gun prohibitions are, and uh, gunpolicy.org is the one. And they were lamenting the fact that in in Ukraine, most gun owners were undocumented. They actually used the term undocumented. That meant their guns were not registered. And so when the Russian attack came, guess what? Would you rather be an undocumented gun owner or a documented gun owner? Because the first thing they're going to do is go to the police station, any village they they encounter, they're going to find out the gun registration records, the hunting license records also. The same thing in France. They had um, instituted gun registration in in 1935, and lo and behold, in 1940, the Nazis took over, and they used the French police uh, as their helpers. That was the term of the armistice, that the French government would would, um, collaborate with their occupation. And so uh, how could it be any better? They had the the gun owner records. And the Nazis imposed a rule of um, if you don't turn in your guns within 24 hours, you, you get shot. And so how could it be any, any better for a, a gun control world? Um, it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, see, and that's, and that's the only real – I mean, there is really no legitimate reason to register guns. Like, I mean, for the government to know that kind of information other than for confiscation. It's a, a prerequisite for confiscation. And that's exactly what seems to happen uh, over and over again. And uh, just reading about that, uh, I remember seeing that in your book. And um, just the fact that, you know, the you had to turn in your guns by a, ser- a certain time or the, the penalty, I think, was death. I think that's what they were doing. They were shooting people um, for not turning them in. And even with that as the, uh, as the penalty, there were still apparently a lot of people that weren't turning them in. Right. That, that was the impetus for the French resistance. They were able to have some arms, uh, not enough. It was never enough, but they were able to start the resistance movement with some arms that they had refused to register and never got turned in. And the interesting part about the Nazi occupation was that 
they they would shoot people regularly for gun ownership. They would publish it in the newspaper as a warning, and yet the, these French people kept doing it again. You know, they they weren't turning them in. So three or four times the Nazis would allow a uh, a gun turn in. Um, a a period like a week or 10 days when, oh, you can turn your gun in and and we won't kill you. And, uh, of course, that led to controversy. They were just shooting people the week before, and now you can just turn it in um, It's in uh, the gun amnesty, and, and there you have it. So in, in the Ukraine, we had the situation. First, they were under Soviet rule. The Soviet Union broke up. So they inherited the, the Russian gun ownership policy, which was – Nobody gets guns unless party members or influential people say you can get them. And so the Ukraine never instituted a gun law. In fact, um, and, and instead, it was um, a system of favoritism. Um, unfortunately, Ukraine was known for corruption, and this is one of the other areas where it existed. So if you could convince your friends in the government, to, you could do them favors, and they would give you guns, and you could be a gun owner. Um, at, at any rate, one thing that was positive is you could buy AR-15 rifles, or if you could afford it, or AK-47 or AK-74 rifles. You were allowed, actually, to buy rifles. You could not buy handguns. Uh, the only people who could get handguns were reporters, and they could only fire rubber bullets. <laughs> they apparently had a, a number of reporters who were uh, injured or killed. So... That leads us up to, let me focus on a couple of years for a second here. In 2013, um, the Ukrainian Law Review asked me to write a, um analysis of the Second Amendment. They were publishing a complete edition of the Ukrainian Law Review on the American Bill of Rights. And myself and, and uh, Joyce Malcolm, we both made contributions to on the Second Amendment. And they published it. So there was interest in legal circles in adopting something like the Second Amendment. That was 2013. And then 2014, there was actually a proposal in their parliament for, uh, I would call it the Second Amendment on steroids. It was, it, it included provisions for uh, mandatory military training, not conscription, but training, um, a, a specific right to fight invaders, and then um, the right to keep and bear arms, protect yourself, your family, your home, your country, to resist tyranny. It had a laundry list of, of really um, great ideas. It was an improvement on our own Second Amendment. So that was proposed in the parliament in 2014. Just after that, however, was when the Russians invaded um, in the eastern part of Ukraine. And so they were, they were distracted. That never got adopted. And then we, that leads us up to this year, and unfortunately, Z Zelensky, the prime minister, had been opposed to gun reforms. There's a gun owners association in Ukraine, and they've been trying to push the uh, uh, a, a more liberal regime of gun ownership and recognition of the constitutional right. Um, so, so then they get invaded the day before the invasion. Zelensky has a change of heart, and they they give out like twenty five. Uh, I'm sorry, um, yeah, twenty five thousand rifles in, in Kiev to people who were willing to sign up for the territorial defense. And so uh, they went from like making it hard on gun owners to all of a sudden here, you know, take an AK seventy four, uh, please help us. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you... and so you've got 
Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, what I was going to ask you was, um, well, uh, two things is, uh, you know, what was the situation just prior to the um, to the invasion? I mean, in terms of gun ownership in the Ukraine, was that was it pretty widespread or or not so much at all? And then, you know, the second thing is, yeah, okay, the government's handing out, um, you know, these these rifles to people. The problem is nobody. If you don't own them, you probably don't train with them. And now you're going to go up against trained soldiers with them. I think that that's probably a less than than optimal situation. What was the situation when they started there? Well, you're absolutely right about the training issue. And in fact, I had to laugh in the newspaper. It said that this was two or three days before the invasion actually started. Everybody knew it was coming. They started training people who didn't have training. I mean, that's like a day late and a dollar short for that. I mean, better than nothing. But you probably saw news reports. They're giving guns out and showing people, well, here's how you... Um, put a cartridge in the in the chamber, uh, here's how the gun operates, and here's how the sights work. So, so yeah, they were really late on that. Uh, but there, I've, I have seen reports where in areas where the Russians have conquered some of these cities and villages, they do get the registration records such as they are, and, and they, they look the people up, obviously, and they're probably shooting them. Uh, it's the same pattern. I mean, that that was what the Nazi policy was all over Europe. I focused on occupied France in that book that you mentioned, but um, that, that's what's happening. And, and gee whiz, if I was a gun owner there, I would not want my gun registered. Um, you don't want to be on that their blacklist. So, of course, here in our own country, this is a lesson that should be learned. And it's kind of ironic, the uh, anti-gun crowd. Uh, everybody, they're all cheering for the Ukrainians. And then when somebody says something about, well, yeah, doesn't that show you something positive about gun ownership and not having registration records and all that? They uh, Then they, they whine and cry and say, oh, you shouldn't be making analogies like that. But it's right on point. <laughs> Ukraine is an object lesson in why we have the Second Amendment and why we need the Second Amendment. Yeah, and it is. And just and along those lines, too, just coming back to our country for a bit, with um, are you familiar with the, um, the bill that uh, – the three senators um, just proposed, I think it was Cory Booker, Menendez, and uh, Blumenthal about uh, a federal kind of licensing uh, scheme to, right. for people to buy guns. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? They tried this in 1968 and when the Gun Control Act was being debated. There were about four different bills, and uh, just by coincidence, I've read those debates again recently, and they were all defeated. Americans don't go for that. They don't go for federal gun licensing, uh, federal registration. They don't even go for it at the state level. I mean, I know you're in California. I know everybody there has their guns registered, just like the government told them to do, like not. I mean, I think, what, um, 200,000 might have gotten registered out of millions that um, uh, that were required to be registered. I mean, nobody trusts the government when they, they want to know your, about your guns. There's only one purpose for that, just eventually to confiscate them. Yeah, and that's exactly my thought on that subject. Um, Stephen, can you hang on for uh, for the next segment here? we got to cut to a break, uh, and then we'll be back, and we'll pick this back up again. Okay, we'll do it. All right, buddy, thanks. Hey, this is Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170. The Answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. 
PRMIMortgageprimeres.com slash Alpine. If you're looking to buy, refi, or maybe you're just considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. They make it easy. Work with a friendly expert team, and they will help you get the best deal on a mortgage. So give Chris a call at 619-722-1303 or primeres.com slash Alpine. All right, Joe. All right. So, Stephen, we're back. Um, you know, to leave it off, we were talking about the, um, again, the uh, the bill that Booker is um, proposed there, and you were saying, you know, it's all old hat, really. It's been, that kind of stuff's been defeated before. And it's interesting, um, you know, because I was reading about that, and, you know, what they're proposing, it, it's funny because they, they want to have a license. So if I wanted to buy a gun, I've got to go to the federal government for a license. The federal government decides whether or not they're going to give me the license. I have to use the license within 30 days. The license is good, license is good for one uh, firearms purchase. And then uh, on top of that, they say the license will expire in five years, which I guess... Uh, I'm thinking that because that didn't make sense to me, and I'm thinking that's their way of getting around the well. This isn't a registration scheme, right? Uh, they want to have it expire, hoping that some people will let it expire. Then they can confiscate them, and they want to just keep coming at you, making you probably pay a fee to to renew it. The District of Columbia tried the same thing um, after the Heller case in the Supreme Court. Uh, we had a case called Heller 2 and then Heller 3, two different more cases, where we challenged other D.C. gun laws. And one of the laws was that every three years you had to renew your registration or it would be canceled. And it was just a, a trap for people who didn't get the notice or were whatever distracted. So we actually got that thrown out by the federal court in the District of Columbia Appeals Court as not having any kind of um, um, basis, uh, considering that the Second Amendment obviously protects the right to keep and bear arms. But I'll tell you one thing. If, if they want to talk about gun licensing, uh, here's here's a nice topic. Um, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. The Supreme Court's going to decide it by the end of June. It's a challenge to the New York State um may issue gun licensing. And that's scheme. good. We could roll right into that. That was going to be my next question. So go go yeah. ahead. <laughs> and the interesting thing for me was that a week before the Supreme Court said they were going to hear that case, my latest book came out. It's called The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class? Question mark. And the answer is obvious there. I mean, the Second Amendment clearly protects that right. But I, I think uh, New York and the other five states that are may issue, they're going to get it stuck to them. Uh, that's your state, uh, New Jersey, um, uh, Maryland, Hawaii, uh, the, the usual suspects. Uh, the, it's most likely the court is going to invalidate those kinds of laws. I mean, what other constitutional right do you exist that you have to ask, uh, play mother may I ask permission to exercise it? And then they turn you down most of the time. That's the New York scheme. So I know in California, in some places, you can get licenses to carry. Other places, no. It's just up to the local sheriff or, or police discretion. So, I mean, what kind of constitutional right is that anyway? It's, 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 you don't ask permission to, oh, so I have to get permission not to 
require you to get a search warrant if you want to search my house or I have to get permission to free, for free speech. I mean, um, I think we probably have five or six solid votes to overturn the New York licensing scheme. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that, too. Uh, I'm curious to see how they, um, you know, how broadly or how narrowly they rule on that, because really, it's, it's I mean, it's time, you know, we're either going to have a Second Amendment, we're going to have a Constitution or we're not. And, you know, I, I mean, you could look at all these rules and I, I'm not an attorney, but I mean, I look at most of these gun control laws and I don't see how they don't infringe on my Second Amendment right. So it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what do you what do you see as the reactions of states like New Jersey and California, you know, based on on the ruling, hopefully, that we're going to get from the Supreme Court? Well, and once again, this is what I anticipate. It's not a promise. Uh, you never know what a court might do. So, But what I anticipate is that they'll simply cross out one phrase in the New York law. Uh, it's a phrase that you not only do you have to have um, no, lack of criminal background or uh, maybe some training. You have to have some training, some things like that. Uh, but you have to have a proper cause or a good reason to want to carry a gun. Um, that's all the court has to do is cross that out. And, and then you can go on your merry way. If, if you meet all the other requirements, then you can get the carry license. And it's going to be the same in the other states, uh, New Jersey, um, whatever their equivalent phrase is to, to good reason or proper purpose or whatever, just cross that out. It's not like the, the gun control laws that exist are going to all of a sudden um, vanish it's just that you you cut out that part that's the most unconstitutional and then allow people to get carry permits. Now, we know that half the states or maybe even maybe it's 23 states now. Well, let's see. It's it's uh, I think it's up to 25. Uh, the constitutional carry. Yeah. 26. I think it might be or 25 at least. It's constitutional carry. No, no permit or license required. Um, and then all the, all the states except for um, for six have either that uh, and or a permanent system that's by and large pretty much fair uh, in the sense that everybody who lacks a felony record and, you know, mental problems, things like that, uh, you can get the permit to carry. So that that's ba the baseline of what, what we're asking for. And we'll see. It's going to be by the end of June. And um, there's another big case that people are getting upset about. I think that some people are going to get upset about that one, the woke people and um let them get upset do you and that's you know on that subject too do you think the um you know the all the the fuss about this leak on the on the row opinion do you think that's going to have any impact at all um on the other on the second amendment opinion no i think i don't think so i mean these justices have pretty tough skin they're not going to back down because people run out to their houses and trying to intimidate them they're not that type. They're going to stick with their guns, so to speak. Um, I, I'm, sh I'm certain that the, there's a, an opinion, just like in the Roe versus Wade case, there's an opinion already drafted and it's being circulated. And the way it works up there um, for these controversial cases, maybe two, three, even three months in advance, they might have a, a basic draft. And then that allows every justice to have their say. If, if somebody Wants to if one person writes the majority opinion, let's say Justice Thomas, uh, but Justice Gorsuch wants to add some to it in a concurring opinion, it gives them time to do that. And if 
if Justice Sotomayor wants to write a dissenting opinion uh, or Justice Kagan, they get plenty of time to give it their best shot to make it most as most refined as possible. That's why they put these big cases off to the end so that all the justices can uh, elaborate to their heart's extent in terms of um, what they want to get their two bits into the decision. So, you know, I, I don't think – neither case is going to be – um, involved with the other in terms of, uh, you know, influencing it. But one thing that's so critical uh, and such a difference, they de- many people denied for years and some people still deny the Second Amendment does not protect the right of the people to keep and bear arms. It protects the National Guard. Uh, but versus Roe versus Wade, like, oh, the right to abortion is clearly in the Constitution. I mean, here you have one right that's explicit that they try to deny and then you have another so-called right that they they make up, basically. Um, so we'll see what happens with both of those. But, um, you know, if you're a betting person, I think your money would be best directed to the two different um, um, possible outcomes in those cases. Well, you know, it's, it's ironic, too, living in a May issue state, because we just recently, probably the last five or six years, got our concealed carry rights back in San Diego. And that was due mostly to our group, the San Diego County gun owners, uh, pressuring the sheriff to change his policy out here. And, um, you know, it's interesting, and I think I may have read this in your book, actually, that just the history of that, that May issue law or that idea, you know, goes, goes way back to the Civil War, basically, and as a way to keep certain people unarmed. And, uh, you know, and that's how it's always been used, actually, up uh, really up until nowadays by certain um certain governments in our country, I guess. And it's, uh, it's ironic that, that some people argue to continue that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's an issue I've covered in uh, the latest book, The Right to Bear Arms, and also a book called Securing Civil Rights. Uh, in the Old South, in the slave codes, slaves could not have a gun, but a, a free person of color, so-called, could get a license. And it, it was May issue, so it was up to their discretion of the authorities then after the, the war, the black codes were enacted, and so any African-American who wanted to carry a gun or to even have one would have to get a license. There was no standard for it. The local authority would either give them the license or not. Yeah, and that's, uh, and um, yeah. Well, and that's what we have in California, too. It's We have 58 counties, and it's up to the county, usually the sheriff, to do that. It's exactly where that comes from, that history. Right, and, and it, that was never applied to citizens. Um, Unfortunately, black people were not considered citizens. They were made citizens by the 14th Amendment adopted in 1868. But you don't treat citizens that way. And the the reason given for the excuse given for um, having that kind of licensing system was they're not really citizens. And so after after they were made citizens, recognized as citizens, African-Americans had all the rights as everybody else. Uh, and yet you still had in the Jim Crow era, you have licensing laws that were discretionary. And so they would the authorities would determine who got a license and who didn't. And, of course, New York, the Sullivan Law, 1911, uh, that was aimed at, at Italian immigrants. Uh, there, there was a lot of, uh, you know, ethnic prejudice against them. And you had the Irish bosses uh, led by Big Tim Sullivan in New York City who wanted to monopolize political power. And they they. They swayed elections. They they um, they enforced the law in a very unequal way. They 
um, made pretense um, after the law passed. They made pretense um, gun seizures where they would they would plant a gun in your pocket, and and so all the way up to nowadays, you have in the New York City licensing section, you have the police who administer being charged with corruption and bribery to issue licenses. All right. Hey, man. Great interview. Thank you very, very much. Look forward to having you back on down the road. All right, guys. Good to talk to you again. Take care. All right, folks. Don't go nowhere. We're going to see if we can't stump our nephew right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, F1, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, we live in a time where the mainstream media and politicians are trying to eliminate your ability to defend yourself. California gun rosters only stop you, the law-abiding gun owner, from having the newest, safest, and most reliable handguns. The assault weapons uh, ban only stops you, the law-abiding gun owner, from having the most popular easy-to-use rifles to protect yourself and your loved ones. The high-capacity mag ban only limits you, the law-abiding gun owner, from having more than 10 rounds. Criminals and the government don't have that limit. Help us restore and defend the Second Amendment. Hit the like and subscribe button and share the show with as many friends as you can. All right. We're going to stump our nephew. I just thought I'd call him our, our nephew since... He's kind of all of ours. Right, Sam? I'm honored that you see me that way. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, let's face it, we've been doing this for how long? It's crazy. A while now, something like three, almost four years, maybe. God, can you, right. believe, yeah, so, can you believe that? So how are you, nephew? Yeah. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> doing good? You got some crazy weather going on back there, right? Um, we have weather. Uh, not really crazy by our standards, but um, it is raining, so I guess that's crazy by Southern California standards, maybe. Yeah, we don't really. We know. used to have that. We used to have that back in the day. So Action Jackson's got the question for you. Are you ready, Freddie? Always. I guess so. All right, let her rip, Tater Chip. Gene from Hummel asks, how is the first supersonic airplane... The Bell X-1 related to guns. That was uh, Gene from where, Hummel? Hummel, actually, and that's a real city, believe it or okay. not. Not really a city. But. Well, it's a hole in the wall. <laughs> All the Hummel lovers out there. It's a town. Well, um, thanks very much for writing in, Gene. Um, that's a really interesting question. Uh, a lot of you probably don't know um, the the relationship between the Bell X-1, the first supersonic aircraft, and uh, fire, well, specifically ammunition design, but I was going to say firearms design. Um, now, it, it wasn't the first man-made object to break the sound barrier. Uh, contrary to what some uninformed people think, uh, bullets had been traveling faster than the speed of sound for many decades before uh, before. Um, the first supersonic flight in 1947. And so when designing the aircraft, the engineers at Bell Aircraft 
designed it with a similar, uh, similar aerodynamic profile to a bullet from the 50 BMG cartridge. They designed it basically according to a scaled-up 50 BMG round um, so that the, the nose of the airplane would be very aerodynamic. Ta-da! The answer is the shape of the first supersonic airplane, the Bell X-1, was based on the Browning 50 caliber machine gun bullet, which was known to be stable in supersonic flight. Correct! Very good. Very good. There you go. Okay, since you're not old enough to remember 1940, whatever it was, who was the pilot? Chuck Yeager. Yeah. He's right again. He if thought I, he could talk to you there. I know. I tried. But I knew he already knew it because if he knew that much about, you know, the plane. The next thing would have been some. Yeah, guy. he would have had to know who the pilot was. All right. Cool. So that was good, actually. So, Sam, in the uh, in the Sam scale of, like, 1 to 10, where does that uh, where did that question fall in terms of difficulty? Uh, what's, is, is, is 10 difficult and 1 easy? Yeah, it's your scale. You can yeah, find you, how you, you want. Go anywhere you want. <laughs> I don't know. In in terms of difficulty, that one was relatively low. But then again, a lot of them, like it's it's either you know the answer or you don't. Right. But um, if you want me to rank it in terms of obscurity, I would say probably maybe maybe a six or seven. I would say probably a, a, about a six. It's relatively obscure. So, that was so, so guys that read up a lot on ammunition, reloaders, and things like that, are people like that more likely to have come across that that little tidbit of knowledge? No, you're more likely to know it if you're um, if you study aviation, right? If you're a, a, a gun guy, a ballistics guy. Okay, that's where you picked it up then with your pilot stuff. Yeah. See, and I have a model of the X1 along with a B17 and a bunch of other vintage planes, so I knew that. And, you know, that wouldn't be something I would normally know, except that I got it from the aviation side. Well, there you go. The only thing I wasn't aware of is that there were bullets way before that that went supersonic before the X-1. Oh, yeah. We've we've been pushing bullets faster yeah. than sound for a long time. So, you being a, a pilot, can you imagine if somebody walked up to you and said, All right, Sam, here's what I need you to do. <laughs> I need you to get into this plane. We're going to drop you off the bottom of another plane, and let's see if you can break the sound barrier. Would you do that? Um, well, yeah, uh, assuming I, I had the proper... Well, sure, uh, yeah, no. But, um, really, I, the, I, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I think the scary part of that whole endeavor wasn't so much, uh, oh, we're going to fly fast, because people had been approaching the sound barrier right. for, uh, for a few years. I think probably the scary part was that it w the airplane was powered by a liquid-fueled rocket engine, and that technology was really not very mature at the mm. time. Was They were not reliable, and they were definitely not very safe. And, and what about landing? Because when you look at the plane, uh, the landing might be a challenge. Um, yeah, the visibility. If if I if uh, any, <laughs> if if I'm if I get the correct impression based on looking at the airplane, the visibility probably wasn't all that great um, in when landing. And of course, once your rocket fuel burns out, it's a glider, so 
you, uh, you, you'd better hope you're flying over a dry lake bed, which yeah. they were. Yeah. Now, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing when you look at the technology, you know, of where they, you know, how, you know, a lot of this stuff. I was just finished reading a book about uh, water speed records, and the very first water speed record was 23 miles an hour. And they were they just thought that was absolutely the wildest experience ever. Today it's two twenty eight, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, I digress. So it's good talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on as always. Yeah. Um, kind of a fun question, a little bit off the wall. Yeah. Thing that a lot of uh, a lot of gun guys probably don't know, but it's 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 a little more well known in the aviation community, right? And there's no airports in Hamul, so that was that was a good question. <laughs> All right, buddy, say hi to the family. Will do. You guys have a good night. All right. All right. Thank you, Sam. All right. So, Action Jackson, what? So you met Flash Gordon? Yeah, his real full name. You met his real Flash Gordon, the one from 1947. Um, what his real name is is Sam Jones. Oh, now you ruined it. Were you supposed to tell anybody that? That was okay. Yeah. Does he have a? Did he have a a ray gun? Assuming. Yeah, I have one. I used to watch Flash Gordon back in the day on black and white. That was when they had aviation. And they used to hang the, the airplane. They used to and, hang his rocket. The, the exhaust went straight up. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> So where'd you meet him at? A Glock store. What was he doing there? Shooting? Yeah, Practicing? He, yeah, he was doing a class with Pool DC. That's right. Oh, because Flash Gordon has to be taught on top of it, you know, if he's going to be a protector. Yeah. I guess. Did you get his autograph? Uh, or did you give him yours? Uh, neither, but at least... You probably gave him a sticker, yeah. a coin, two patches, and I think a business card. What'd he give you? Uh, nothing. I don't really. I didn't <laughs> like the, you the don't. time to meet Flash Gordon. Yeah, that's well, what you get. But see, he doesn't need any more stuff. I've seen his wall of, of fame. <laughs> right? Yeah. You've got a little bit more than you need, right? And you're only how old? Nine? Nine. When you're 99, there will be not an inch of that house not covered, right? Nope. All right. Sounds like a plan. So who's your next superstar that you're, you're going to meet? Oh, I met somebody that knows Dennis Anderson personally. You mean the one who, one of the many people who drives Gravedigger? This is the man. This is the man. He's the one that built Gravedigger. So I'm working on some things. So we'll see what comes together. Yeah. You and I'll go check this dude out. You're not old enough to drive and I'm too old to drive, but we're going to work out something. <laughs> we'll get in the middle somehow, right? Um, If there even is a middle... Well, probably not now that you mention it, but uh, we'll, we'll see if we can't pull that together. Because I know you'd like to get in a gravedigger and go for a ride, right? Absolutely. I'll be driving. You'll be riding. You'll be riding shotgun. How's that? No? Right. Yeah. You don't care if we go upside down? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That would be the best part. Get a box of Band-Aids. We'll have a great time. Man, after my own heart, I digress. Or, or you could drive Gravedigger, and I can drive a son of a digger. 
Yeah, you could. Yeah, but yeah, that would work. Son of a digger is probably more your style anyway. You kind of like Jeeps. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of a 54 Chevy panel truck guy myself. <laughs> Did you know? Trivia. You may not know this. So next time you're at a cocktail party, this will be a good one to pull off on the guys. Do you know that Grave Digger's the other paint job on the side of his big truck? That's all done by hand. Where Son of a Digger and all the rest of them, they wrap them. You know, they use the vinyl wrap. Yeah. Grave Digger, there's an old guy that's back in Kill Devil, North Carolina, that hand paints that whole truck. Pretty cool, huh? See? Next time you're at a cocktail party. All right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. Joe Jamisi, you did a phenomenal job as usual. Folks, check out our sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, Orange County, Inland Empire, the Dillon Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Sage Street Digital, Seal One, Leo Hamill Fine Jewelry, San Diego Flight Training International. And I really want to thank, again, Joe Jamisi, Sam the Gunman, Action Jackson, and Wild Man Brendan Thomas right here on FM 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.